Are you new to investing? Wondering whether or not you can self-manage your properties? Let us tell you about our partner, RentReady. RentReady is an awesome property management software that can help you grow and handle every aspect of your real estate investing business. Rent collection, tenant screening, maintenance, lease signing, listing. Honestly, RentReady has everything. One of the best features is their new tenant software, Latchel, where you're able to remove yourself as the landlord from being the middleman between tenants and maintenance calls. And it's also essentially a fraction of the cost of what you would pay for property management. Let me also mention that RentReady is unlimited. All their plans are flat price. This means you can keep adding properties to your portfolio without having to pay more. You can close on all the properties you want and RentReady's price stays the same. Best part about it is for you guys is they've given us an amazing deal to pass on to all Weekly Juice listeners. You can get 50% off any RentReady plan at rentready.com when you use our code JUICEPOD. That's rentready.com, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code JUICEPOD, J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D, and you'll get 50% off any plan. If this is your first time here, welcome. During our shows, we interview successful entrepreneurs and investors to spread knowledge, advice, and actionable tactics to help others in the pursuit of financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, and key lessons learned along the way in the hopes that these stories help you along your journey. Tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. If you've been here before and like what you've been hearing, please subscribe, share with friends, rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That goes an extremely long way for us. It's simple. Just click on your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on the reviews and let us know what you think. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get in our show and in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod for daily content and personal finance tips to assist in your journey towards financial freedom. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice, where we talk real estate, personal finance, entrepreneurship, and investing. You're hearing a different voice do the intro today. Rise on vacation. How about that? Must be nice. So, no, it's great. So he he went overseas. He had a great time with his family, um, and I, you got this interview alone with me today. So we brought on a uh, a pretty cool investor. Her name is uh, Jacqueline Marshall, and she is at Baywap Design on Instagram. And she does a lot of DIY investing. She's been an investor for about six years. And she left her job as a dental hygienist after one flip. So she took this massive risk, right? In she had a portfolio. She has a portfolio of six rentals. And she did eight flips to this day, but she left her job after one flip because she made X amount of money on, which is a significant amount, evidently, to leave your job, right? She left her job. And then she started doing this flipping full time and she actually lives in Canada and I didn't know this, but interest rates are like ridiculously low in Canada compared to where they are in the United States. So she's, she's had that going for her, but she is really an inspiration, not only to women investors, but investors everywhere that, you know, you can take this risk, you can leave your job and, and you can start to build something, this wealth building technique on your own. And you, you don't need the advice of other people. If you just take action and you learn and then you pivot and you change and she's done just exactly that. So I think it's a really, really unique story and we're really excited to have her on. So you got just me today, like I said, so I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but we are going to bring her in. So let's do it. 
All right, Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming on the show. We uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your day. As I was talking to you before the show, Ryan and I have been following your story for a little while now, and we've been learning all about your DIY flipping strategies and your buy and hold investments through your Instagram. And it's some really exciting stuff with your reels and everything you're sharing. So if you could just give a little bit of background on yourself, kind of who you are, where you're from, where you invest, and kind of what got you into the entire real estate investment uh, game here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Jacqueline and I'm a Canadian investor, uh, specifically here in Ontario, Canada. That's where all my portfolio is, uh, which consists of six single family homes. And I started investing a little over six years ago. So the first three years I accumulated the six homes. And then for the past three years, I have been a self-taught DIY investor, serial house flipper, call me crazy. And, uh, that's what I've done. And before that I was a dental hygienist and I walked, when I started flipping the houses, that's when I walked away from hygiene. I didn't give up my license because it's always good to have a safety net and not let, you know, not have all your eggs in one basket. Sure. But, uh, yeah. So I just walked away and I went in uh, full tilt with the first uh, lipstick uh, flip that I took on and it wasn't over too overwhelming, but um, like it wasn't knocking down walls or anything like that. It was purely cosmetic lipstick flip. And I had success with that. I loved it. I saw the wealth building potential. I saw what could come out of it. And I just absolutely refused to go back to hygiene. I would have if I had to, right. <laughs> but I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I persevered. I'm, there were some dark days but, uh, and frustrating days, but um, I think that's a kind of a part of what uh, separates people who are successful with this and who aren't as successful because you are going to have some very dark days and frustrating days and you're going to have cries and successful people in this business. I think you just persevere. You, you stay resilient. You don't quit and you just keep going. So yeah. that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I'm wondering, like you mentioned that you became a landlord by accident when you weren't able to sell your home. You were actually trying to sell your home to move closer <laughs> to your job, right? So this was like the, going the opposite direction that you went. You were trying to move closer. You became a landlord. You were able to accumulate six rental properties in the process. But then flipping is a whole nother animal, animal. right? Like yeah. you can you can gather, not gather is not the right word, but you can, you can accumulate rental properties, put some work in, but maybe still have yeah. them cash flow. But what was it about flipping? Like, how did you even learn how to do, you, you say cosmetic, like it's not difficult. It's still difficult to do a cosmetic flip. Like how did you teach yourself or what did you, um, what strategies did you take in the beginning to learn? And you know what? It's funny that you say that because you would think that painting or laying down laminate flooring, it's so simple, but it's not. There are so many little tips and tricks that you need to know to make it look really polished, like to make it look so that a professional did it and not some beginner DIYer. Um, I redid things in that first house. I redid things, uh, some things several times over. I asked yep. people, I reached out to people. I did a lot of YouTubing. I just wouldn't quit. I was just like, no, this has to look better. This has to look better. And I just had some really long days and, um, a lot of coffee and you just kept <laughs> going and kept doing it. And you just learned because it was just trial and error and just patience. And you just learned. Yeah. 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 That's, that's kind of what it is. I, I feel like there's a lot of rookie investors and I, Ryan, and I still consider ourselves rookies. You know, we have a portfolio of seven units and, and I still think that is so in the rookie stage. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people who just get involved that 
think that there's this magic formula that once you learn it, it's going to be kind of a cookie cutter thing and you're able to replicate. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the case until you dive in and you actually learn and you make those mistakes and you screw up and you lose money and you do all these things that really you want to pull your hair out while you're doing it. But then you don't realize on the back end after it happens, you're like, oh, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again, or I'm not going to do that specific tactic again, because I know how to adjust and move forward. And my question to you is, like, where is your your uh, portfolio located? Did you buy properties all in the same area? I know you mentioned Ontario, yeah. but are they all within a certain mile radius? And did you do that because you thought your that was the best strategy, or was it really just proximity to like the neighborhoods that you understood? Um, no, there was no thought process in this. Um, like I said, I stumbled into this and I just accumulated the rentals with no knowledge, no systems, no processes. I didn't even think to like do tenant screening, which thank God I did learn how to do and became aware that maybe I should hand out an application. Um, yeah, so I mean, there was a learning curve, you know, there was a learning curve, there was, a, there was some growing pains and, but you have to uh, see that as an opportunity that your mindset can't be like, oh my God, this is frustrating, or I'm not meant to do this, or I shouldn't be doing this, or I should quit and take my ball and go home. The answer is no. If, if you have a bad day or if there's some setbacks and growing pains, just take have the mindset, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to learn. And it highlights where the deficiencies and the gaps are in your systems and processes. It highlights that. And you just have to stop and go, okay, how do I lessen that gap and that deficiency and take that time and invest in knowledge, invest in networking, and you become more powerful. You get, you get better, you know, and, uh, just, uh, yeah. That's great. I, I totally agree that Ryan, I always say that the saying like your network is your net worth. And mm -hmm. I think it's so important because that's how we have kind of created this spider web of, of opportunities for ourselves. And I see you've done the same thing where you're yeah. leveraging other people and not in like a, 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 de a deceiving kind of way, you're leveraging skill sets that other people have to help you and help everybody grow around you. And the kind of the abundance mindsets helps frame it and get, put you in this, in this mental state that like we can, you can win together with other people. And I, that's how I like to approach it. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's really important to, to note. And one of the things that I'm curious about is how you were, whether it's the flips or the, the buy and holds, how are you finding these properties at, you mentioned that your network, is it something that's coming through a relationship with the realtor and maybe it's changed from when you started to now, but what are some strategies that you're using to try to find these deals? Um, so at the beginning I did use my realtor. That was, uh, that was really easy finding deals in good AB neighborhoods. I have AB tenants. Um, they're very low maintenance. I barely hear from them, <laughs> which is a good thing. I get my yeah. rent all the time. Um, and the same thing with the flipping, I did have to, uh, relocate. So I got, I was getting bitted out. So I was I was flipping in the area where I was working as a hygienist and where I had my rentals, but I was going from, okay, I'm the only person putting an offer on this flip to there's 30 offers now. And so my area was getting really congested with a lot of uh, competition flippers. And so I, I wasn't working in hygiene anymore. So this flipping, this is my thing. This is my bag now until I decide to scale up and do something else. Uh, so I moved five hours away from where I was and went to an entirely different community 
and uh, had some luck there for two years and then COVID happened. And so things slowed down for me. And I think for Toronto, which is about five hours away from where I was flipping, uh, a lot of people were um, migrating from the big cities and because they were working from home and it was like, okay, if I'm working from home, I might as well do it in a place where if I sell my condo or house in Toronto for 1.5 million and I go buy a house in Windsor now for three, 300,000, I've got money, I've got a security, you know, thing. So that started getting uh, an influx of, you know, the investors and things like that. So, uh, so the point where I'm at now is like, yeah, okay, it's ready for me to pivot again, not give up, not walk away from flipping, but definitely pivot, but they've all come from MLS. And, right. but, um, I've had luck that way. I haven't dealt dealt with any wholesalers yet. I haven't dealt with any off markets or Facebook or any finds like that. But with, uh, with that being said, uh, how I'm planning on pivoting and my plan for the next one to five years, I do see wholesaling and off markets. And I have joined up with groups uh, on Facebook and uh, my REI community where I live in my province here in Ontario. Uh, I've networked with wholesalers and things like that. So they're definitely going to be uh, an integral part of my team scaling up and growing. Yep. Got it. That's great. For sure. Um, so we talked about a little bit about finding these deals and you did a, you had a great explanation as to like how you're finding them. Now, as before we move into like these renovations, cause I want to talk about contractors and, and flipping and your actual <laughs> renovations. Cause you, you know, your DIY is like in your blood, it sounds like. So what, yep. before we get into that, what, how are you funding the deals, especially in the beginning when you started to build this portfolio of six, were you just going and getting bank loans, um, traditional conventional financing each time? And, mm -hmm. and did you, did you find that you needed to pivot from that at all? Or was it really a simple, like, I'm going to go buy this house. I'm going to put renters in it. I'm going to wait whatever period I need to wait to accumulate more funds and then go do it again. Mm -hmm. So the rentals, because of my hygiene job and things like that, and just my, like I said, I have very, um, uh, no consumer debt. I had great credit score. I had had a great relationship with my bank. And so I do have loans, very, uh, loans for the rentals, which is what you want, uh, for the flips. I did buy them in cash. Uh, I always came with a, with a very clean offer. I still do with my flips. I come in with cash offers, no conditions. I will close in two weeks. Uh, what, whatever, like if you have a problem, I will try and fix it. I want this I want this house, this flip. I want to beat up my other offers. And, uh, and that didn't put me in any, any kind of financial position or dire, dire financial position. Like I was able to do that. Uh, however, with that being said, um, with, um, with the track record that I have with my bank and because of the one to five year plan that I have moving forward, I've had several conference calls now with my accountant and my bank and to so that we're all on the same page about how I want to move forward for the next one or five years. And um, yeah, I don't need the JV or anything. Like I am moving into multifamily. I am moving into multifamily this week. So that's what, or sorry, this year. So that is how I am scaling up. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not putting flipping on the back burner yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I am going to have uh, financing through the bank for any multifamily uh, that I have. And that's simply because of the portfolio. Uh, I might be doing a portfolio loan, yep. which is every, I haven't bird. I haven't taken out any equity out of my rentals yet. 
and they have appreciated uh, greatly over the yeah. past six years. Absolutely. So just all of that, all those assets is uh, in my favor in getting funding from a bank and having 1.7, you know, interest rate on a multifamily apartment building. So, wow. So first of all, that interest rate is ridiculously low. I, yeah. I, we're not seeing anything like that in the United States, at least not that I'm aware of. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think one of the things that's important to highlight for your story is that you have become this DIY investor that has, you've labeled yourself as an investor, even early on in the stages of you investing. And I think that that's like a really important mindset to, to, to put yourself in because you said, okay, if I can't do this here, I'm going to move five hours away or I'm going to change or I'm going to pivot. And that is something that is scary. And some people will just, they'll see that door right there and they'll just close that door. I'm not doing that. That's why, why would I move five hours away? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> you kind of made this commitment. That's like, if the market doesn't work here, I'm not going to complain mm -hmm. about this market. It no. is what it is. I'm going to go yeah. pick up and move and go to a different market because this is how you find your niche and you've, and you become successful and you create that mm -hmm. passive income. So mm -hmm. I, I just, I love that aspect of your story because uh, like I said, a lot of people will will kind of see that door and say, it's too heavy to push through. I'm not going to do it. But you yeah, evidently I, didn't do that. Yeah, no, you have to look at tertiary markets. I mean, if we're the market where you live and you're stubborn and you're going to put, put those self-imposed roadblocks on you, you've already failed. You know, you can't right. uh, put those roadblocks in front of you. They're self-imposed. And I, I was committed. I was going to be successful no matter what. Nothing was going to be a roadblock for me. And if I had to move five hours away, if I had to move 10 hours away to be in a market where I kept, you know, being successful and, and carrying the momentum and kept learning and things like that and having a great relationship with my bank and proving my track record and all of this, you know, um, because my bank, uh, they've seen all the flips that I've done. They see the paperwork. They, you know, they see the, the paperwork with the, and how successful, um, what a successful businesswoman I've been with that. So they know that when I take those skills and everything that I've learned and I transition and I snowball that into a multifamily, they know I'm going to be successful. You know, they, yeah. they believe in me. I've got that relationship with them. So they have, yeah. That's another relationship building tactic. It's not just yeah. like, it's not just like about networking at like this event where you're handing out business cards. You're talking about like true, real networking with people think that you can't network with bankers or a bank. Like that is like, that's who you want to create these relationships with. And, and just because mm -hmm. they have rules, it doesn't mean that they don't, they aren't people and they won't gain trust in the people that they want to do business with. And, yeah. and I found that going to a bank recently too, where it's just, mm -hmm. I've, I've started to say everywhere I go, I want to create this true and genuine connection and relationship, mm -hmm. and, you know, it may not work in some places, but you could just keep putting yourself out there, um, mm -hmm. you know, for that. So Let's let's move into some renovations and 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 contractors and, and the fun stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what are some tips that you have for projects that add value to your properties? Because when you flip, and even when you're in long-term buy and hold, the name of the game is creating additional value and that equity in your property, especially mm -hmm. being a flipper. So, what are some projects that you've done or that you like to do, or some tips that add, that do add that value to your properties? Uh, so my mindset, when I go into a flip, um, because I'm doing a lot, there's so much cost savings with me doing the work, you know, and for that reason, I'm able to put more higher end finishes into these flips and they stand out from my competition. So Got this it. house that 
you know, down the road, that's, you know, they're hoping to sell it for 250 or 300 themselves. Um, my house is looking, is going, is wants to resell at the same price point, but because I did all the work and I saved all this money by doing the work myself, my finishes are up here now. They're not down here. Sure. They're not, they, they don't, it doesn't look like a builder grade. And I always put in things like, um, floor to ceiling, um, curtains, uh, and that stays with the house. Uh, I always do panel ready dishwashers, um, you know, which is, again, I've never seen, I've never, ever seen in a flip at my price point here in Ontario in my markets. Uh, so my little finishes and my little touches, I, they definitely stand out from the flips in the same price reselling price point that I do. So got it. Very yep. cool. What are, I mean, are there any projects, the DIY, you know, are there any projects that you aren't doing? Are you doing all the electrical work? I know that your no. DIY stuff has gotten, um, you said you used to do lipstick and now you're doing much major flips. So what are some of the projects or parts of projects that you're subbing out and kind of how do you manage this, the subcontractors in order to get that done to the level that you want it done? Mm -hmm. So as I graduated from flip to flip, they progressively became more involved. There was more work, more work, but I was taking the experience that I had from gain from like, let's just say drywalling. I sucked at drywall, <laughs> but I was doing little drywall projects, but I was taking the experience uh, and practice that I had from that flip. And I was taking it into this flip. I was taking it into that flip. And so my last flip, I was literally gutting down, knocking down walls in the back bedroom because I wanted the master bedroom to be even more bigger. I drywalled that whole thing. I draw, I've drywalled ceilings uh, now. I've knocked down plaster ceilings and I've had to redo it with drywall. So you just kind of graduate into it. It's, it's practice, you know? Uh, but when it comes to, um, I did graduate into flips that required full on, the whole house needed to be rewired. Now, because of my insurance policy, no, I cannot touch electrical. Got it. Uh, my insurance policy is commercial for the flips. And they also require um, proof that the contractors that I'm hiring to do any work on the flip, they want to know, they want proof of insurance. They want proof of bondability and uh, just license and things like that. So I have to provide, get that from my contractors and give it to my insurance company. I don't know if all insurance companies are like that, but I know that's my experience with my personal uh, person, but uh, no, I would never touch electrical. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hire people to do that. I hire people yeah, to do it's, that. Well, it's funny you say that because there, I always thought like there's certain things that Ryan and I wouldn't touch, but realistically we're hiring out all of the all of the rehab work that we do and then our gc our general contractor he's not doing it all himself mm -hmm. he's hiring out that that work yep. too and that's another relationship building thing to make sure that you're hiring the people that you really trust mm -hmm. to get the work done because as you know and i know and anytime you're a real estate investor you know that there are contractors out there that will take a $15,000 deposit and they'll run and it's hard to find the right mm -hmm. people to do business with i think mm -hmm. that's why as you learn and as you grow and as you do it over and over again, you may end up taking a haircut every now and then on certain things. So yeah, that's a, uh, it's good to note. Yeah. I think women are blessed in this business because I mean, I think women are gifted with just an innate uh, sense intuitiveness of things. If that makes sense. I think mm -hmm. women have that a little bit more. And so we kind of sense out when someone shows up and I'm just like, mm, no, you can kind you of gotta go. I'm, you're not getting hired. Just goodbye. 
Yeah. <laughs> just, I just know this is not going to work out <laughs> next. <laughs> so, yeah. And you hate yeah. to judge, you hate to judge people. Mm-hmm. I think that that, but like as, as a human, you kind of just like have that innate like judgment in your head. So if you see somebody who shows up and like just the way people present themselves, the way they communicate, the way they talk, I think that that goes a long way in, in terms of like who you want to do business with. And and yeah. I'm sure you've probably seen that as you see somebody roll up and it's like, if, if they, <laughs> it, how they present themselves is going to evidently yeah. it'll, it'll come out in the wash of like how they perform their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've had people uh, show up to give me estimates for a job and they they're it's like they smell like a distillery, you know, and it's like Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. Coming out. yeah that's exactly out. right i've i've had uh i've had contractors come out and you know some of the guys now you may pay for this service in a different level like if you have somebody come out with the 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 collared shirt that's branded and buttoned down with the ipad and they may charge you a premium but mm-hmm. oftentimes i've found that it costs so much more to try to get the work done from somebody who maybe writes something down on a notepad and they don't even know where they left the invoice and mm-hmm. to do that work over and over again, as opposed <laughs> to hiring the person in the first place. And I've learned this so many times. I can't even tell you, I still make the mistake because up front, I'm like, <laughs> do I want to spend $2,000 or do I want to spend $4,500? And almost every single time I've went with the $2,000, it's, it's come back to bite me. And, and so it's, there's a reason why that, that zoom drain caught, you know, charges a premium to, to do their plumbing. Yeah. You know, it's See, just- I, I circumvent that by like, for, for example, the, the, uh, the electrician that I've used now three or four times, he's phenomenal. He is phenomenal. I love him. He's great. He's been yep. so resourceful for other tradespeople and in, in terms of references for other people that I've made to hire but he's not the most organized person. And so uh, I learned now when he shows up to give me a quote on the next flipper house or whatever, I have the list. I have it all written down for him. I'm like, this is what you're doing. So you you bring the organization. Here's the list. You have no excuses now because he is a little bit disorganized. So I write it all down on a piece of paper for him. I'm like, this is what you're giving me a quote on. Yeah. Well, you bringing that organization like to him is probably providing him value. And and that's a, a lot of things contractors get, they get bad reps because a lot of really, really skilled contractors in their trade are not great business people because they're really, really good at doing drywall and they're really, really good at plumbing and they're really, really good at electrical work. They're not great at the understanding how to market themselves or how to, how to run that business. So the fact that you're kind of doing both worlds, you're a contractor, not only are you a contractor, but you're actually a business owner yourself. You're, you're learning how to meld both of those. So the contractors that you meet that may not be that skilled in being a business owner, you're probably teaching well, them something about that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I guess I recognize the gaps or deficiencies in how they run their business because just right. because they're a little bit disorganized, doesn't mean that they're not going to give me a fair price. Yep. doesn't mean that they're not going to do phenomenal work, but I just know from experience that I recognize and I take the initiative of bridging those gaps so that everybody's happy at the end of the day. So totally, I take that totally. initiative. I take that yeah. initiative. Yeah. yeah. Great. And they just laugh at me. They just laugh at me. They just roll their <laughs> eyes and they're like, okay, yes, dear. <laughs> right. 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 That's funny. Um, yeah. So what are some of the, I think this is, this is always a question that we get and, and, and when we're doing cosmetic, whether it's cosmetic rehabs or we're getting people that are like, what are the force appreciating 
tactics or the best items to take care of in a property that really boost the home's value. Because if you're going to buy a property for $100,000 and you're going to put 50 into it, you don't want it to be worth 150 when you're done. You want it to be worth 200 or 250. And, And the question that we get all the time is like, what are these what are these certain projects and homes that really help force appreciate a property? Are you adding rooms? Are you, or is it all in the finishes? Yeah. Um, it's a bit of both. Um, I mean, I know that there's some try and true answers to that question, but just based on my personal experience and the feedback that I've gotten from my buyers. Um, so when I hire people, I draw, draw permits, that's non-negotiable. There's just permits. So when the seller comes in and they're, they're buying, and it's shown to them that all this work was done on permits. It got signed off. That permit is closed. Yep. Um, that goes a long way, I found, because uh, it just shows that I'm doing this flip because flippers have a bit of a reputation. We're not loved <laughs> by everybody. And uh, so as a flipper, I'm showing them that I'm reputable. I'm honest. I have integrity. And so my product is again, stands out from the other flip that maybe did electrical down the road or next door, but they didn't draw permits, but I did. Uh, That goes a long way. Uh, I always take first uh, the big budget things out of, I don't want someone to buy a home. And then all of a sudden they have to deal with a new roof. They have to deal with windows. They got to deal. I, to me, a flip should entail all of that. The big ticket items, you may not like the cosmetics that I've done, but that's easy. You can still live with that. I make sure that there's a, a brand new furnace if it's needed. Yep. There's no trouble with the hot water tanks. And then, then I concentrate on the cosmetics. You know, if there's a sagging floor, I deal with that. So I take all those things out off the table so that whoever buys the house, they don't have to worry about anything. It's all done by professional people. It's done by permits. And I put a nice decor into it and, uh, and just the decor finishes it. It helps. It helps. And if I can, I do put in a second bathroom, which is totally renovated. And if it's not in the budget to finish it off, I at least make sure that there's a rough in for, and I make sure that there's maybe a tub or a toilet or a vanity all there for you to install yourself. Because if it's not, I don't go over my budget. That's a non-negotiable with me too. I will not go over the budget. So if it's not in the budget to finish, put a second bathroom in, I will make sure that there's a rough in there. And I will put leave and put as much stuff there for you to finish it yourself. So I'm still giving you value of a second bathroom. That's, you know, so. got it. That's really, that's, I mean, that's really good advice because I think that in, in my market, I, I, Ryan and I are in Philadelphia and in our market, the, the difference between a three bed, two bath and a three bed, one bath, or even a three bed, one and a half bath especially because we live in a place where a lot of student rentals are and we live like near colleges, near hospitals. So there's a lot of grad students. And I think that the value that these rent, we looking at at renters, but it's still buyers too, that are coming in. Mm -hmm. They don't, sharing a bathroom with two people is a big difference in sharing a bathroom with three people. And I think that having that, that, that extra bathroom, the property that I actually live in that I'm, I am house hacking is a, was a four bed, one bath, and they turned it into a three bed, two bath. And it, Mm. it, I, I know that this guy made a deal. He was a flipper. I know that he made a deal off of it, but I was my first property. So it didn't really, doesn't bother me that he's making money, but I know that adding that value for me as the buyer coming in, I was like, Oh, this is great. It's two, they're two fully finished bathrooms and and they're full baths. So totally agree there. 
Yeah, absolutely. You can't have too many bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I know mean, there's property packs up, but you know, it's a small cost for a big gain. So yeah, there's properties in my area that are three bed, four bathrooms. And it's, I, I always think wow. that's kind of weird, but it's like, you're right. You can never have enough bathrooms. So it's good. It's a good point. Um, if you could walk us through your, maybe your favorite flip, or maybe it's a buy and hold, whatever your favorite deal that you've done is, if you can give us some rough numbers on it, I'm, I, before we get into like the latter segments of our show, I, I wanted people to understand your market and some of the things that you've gone through and just maybe some, some numbers to your business here. So my most recent flip that I closed on a couple of months ago, um, I purchased it for $180,000. $180, I bought it in cash. So there was no lender fees. There was no interest or anything like that. So I didn't have that overhead. Um, so with um, so with the rehab and the some holding costs, uh, I it, that came to about $30,000. And then uh, I resold it five months after purchase. I sold it for $320,000. The, wow. yeah, so, um, and then, so the costs that were taken from that was obviously the real estate commission. So that was 4.5 and that came to 14,000 and change, $400, mm -hmm. I think. And then my lawyer, there was a HST on top of that. So I think that came to 1700 or 1400, I forget now. And then the lawyer fee, which was about 900. So those costs were taken from obviously the repurchase or resale. Got it. Yeah. But we're still talking about a massive returns. And this is, this is why you had the ability. Don't get me wrong. I, I buy, we've only, we've never done any flips. We only do buy and hold. So, but, mm -hmm. but it's taken this, this time frame in order for Ryan and I to have the actual passive income that we would need to leave our jobs. But this, mm -hmm. these types of flips are why if you can make a hundred grand or something around that number, I mean, I'm just throwing mm -hmm. rough numbers yeah. out there on a flip, you're, how long would it take you to save a hundred grand? And I know you have to pay taxes on it and the whole thing. Right. But it's like, no, you do. do. You do. Yeah. And so even if the hundred turns into 70, you're still talking about a lot of money. That's an influx that can help generate business for you and go and into the next one. So I, I think that's that for everyone out there that wants to do real estate full-time, Jacqueline kind of has the recipe, start to build up this portfolio on your own. Yeah. And then if you can, you know, add these flips or wholesaling in, it's, yeah. it's proven that it works, right? Did you, did you want me to touch on the taxes? Because that's sometimes a misconception that I'm asked a lot too. Like the trades people who come into the house are just like, Oh, you're, you stay here in your flips. Cause I stay in my flips. I don't, uh, you know, but that doesn't make it my home. <laughs> I have a commercial insurance on it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you can touch on that. Absolutely. Yeah. So the taxes, I, I get asked that a lot. They're just like, Oh, you know, you sold it. So you don't have to pay taxes on capital gains. Okay, let's uh, let's debunk some of that. Um, so, in order for me, um, so I'm having I'm, my multifamily and other things that I'm plan on purchasing in the next year or so. They're not going to be cheap, but I do have to show income for that um, for bank financing. Yep. And I want to stay with the bank. I don't want to get into private money or other people's money because that comes at a higher risk and higher interest rate. So either you have to weigh out the pros and cons of this. So my flipping is set up as a self-employed. So I do, I don't pay. I, if I went with capital gains, I could borrow money from this institution, a credit union. If I paid, went with capital gains, but I do it as a self-employed. Now I do pay a little bit more money 
on income tax that way, but that also gives me an income, a viable income, the same way hygiene did for my rentals. But that viable income now as a self-employed in that business, even though I'm paying more taxes, this is allowing me to walk into the bank and they are giving me money to buy my multifamily at 1.75. Got so, it. They're looking um, at you as you as the business, right? And that's that's yeah. That's really so, important. Yeah. So you got to weigh out the pros and cons of where you're at and your portfolio and what your objectives are. And you've got to have that conversation with your lender and your accountant and you got to lay out what your goals are now that your goals might be edited and you might be pivoting from them a little bit but you need to be prepared but you have to have things set up because we usually with any lender you have to have at least two consecutive years of income tax um claimed the same way do you know what i mean yep so um, to be bankable right these banks look at it and i've been asked this question a number of times Mm -hmm. how many times have you been at your job how how long Mm -hmm. have you been building this portfolio and you're right that two years around where they say okay this person is secure Mm -hmm. enough that's how at least that's how the banks look at it this there's are you secure enough to be really what they're looking at is can they take the quote unquote gamble on lending you this money and are you you know are you uh Secure, really. That's that's kind of yeah. What if I claimed it, if I claimed it as capital gains, the bank wouldn't look at me that way. They wouldn't say no. They would say, Jacqueline, we don't care if you've been doing this successfully for ten years. You claimed it as capital gains. We're not lending to you. But if you if you claim it, the income from your flips this way, we will lend to you. And I like lent, being working with the banks as opposed to other lenders. You know that could be a little bit more. Like I've heard horror stories about people. You know, they've had private money and then the day before they were supposed to close on the lender didn't come through the day before yeah. the day of, you know, and I, and I don't want to put that myself in that boat yet. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, uh, hopefully it, it I'm can never be nerve wracking. Yeah, it totally so can be I'm nerve wracking. So I'm willing to bite the bullet and do what I have to do to stay in the bank's graces right now. <laughs> so, Got it. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So uh, for people that ha- d- didn't get the whole picture paint, and I just want to make sure I understand this correctly, yeah. you okay. have been investing for about three or four years, correct? Is that what you you were? No, I started uh, six years ago with my first rental. Okay. Six years ago, you have uh, six rentals. And then how many flips total have you done? I th- eight? Is that the eight, is that yeah. eight flips? Okay, great. And, and this is this is in a six year time frame, which is very, very fast in my opinion. And you're able to, to leverage that and leave your job. So I, I kudos to you. I think it's, it's, it's awesome. As we, as we wind down the, the show here, I, I want to move into the section we call the core four, and we're going to get to know you a little bit more personally. And we're going to talk about kind of your mindset and just how, how you, uh, just, you know, just kind of how you think about things. Cause I know you mentioned earlier, sometimes you, have some dark days like we all do trying to push through and trying to build this business. And I think it's important to know what helps get you, you through that. So the first question is an easy question. It's what is your favorite, we'll go real estate investing or flipping or business book that has helped you kind of um, maybe it's a mindset book or maybe it's an actual tactful book. What's your favorite one? Okay. So I haven't read any real estate books per se, mm-hmm. 
Um, so I haven't gone down that rabbit hole. I do have a reading list. I have purchased some of them. I have intent of reading them. Um, well, the, the question can then be framed like where where do you go to then for information or for knowledge or for that learning element if you do or are you truly DIY, you just do it and then you learn it <laughs> and then like what where would you go? Is it YouTube? Where do you go to to try to learn how to? Yeah, no, I mean, it? like for the, for the real estate and just for mindset and for balance and things like that. I mean, there's since discovering um hopping on social media and Instagram, obviously I've obviously discovered an REI community, which is going to be instrumental uh, and very helpful um, scaling up and what I'm, where I'm moving, what I'm moving into and graduating into in the next one to five years. Um, so I haven't got that from a book per se, but that's sure. definitely going to be my go-to for knowledge and networking. Um, I loved, and I hate to say this has nothing to do with real estate, but it kind of does. Uh, I read a book back in November by it's called crushing it by Gary V. And it was all about, it's all about uh, harvesting or or harnessing social media. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your hobby is. You need to harness social media and to further and propel you, whatever you are, whatever you're into. And so I got an IG account and here I am. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, no, but it, it it puts some validation to who you are and what you're building. Yeah. And so many people have have come out uh, to and asked us, uh, they say, Corey or Ryan, I haven't I don't I haven't started my real estate journey or my investing journey or my personal finance or, or financial independence mm-hmm. journey. But I, I want to put myself out there. And our, our thing is like starting it, start an Instagram account, start a social media account and start mm-hmm. to network with people. And you build people want to learn. You got to understand that, that there's so many people that are above your level and below your level that it doesn't matter where you at because there's always somebody on both sides. So putting your message out there is going to help somebody in some way and you're going yeah. to be looked up to at some form or fashion. So I, I totally agree since we've started the, our social media journey, look, we're interviewing you. And a lot of that is because of social media. So I'm only here because of social media and social media puts you, it makes your networking and your core and your go-to, it makes it very well-rounded because like mm-hmm. to your point, you're going to, it's going to make it very well-rounded in the terms of like, you're going to have people who are extremely successful. You're never, you're probably never going to have access to them. Like like Robert, uh, Kawasaki or whatever. Yeah, name Robert is. Kiyosaki. Robert K. Yeah. I'll just call him K. I don't want to butcher his name in disrespect. <laughs> but you know, I'm never going to come in. But I can benefit from what he and you know learn and benefit from what he knows because he's putting it out there. You know, yeah. I can go watch a YouTube video. And then there are people and rookies um, who don't know anything. And I'm kind of like like you, like you said, like the way you coined it. I'm a rookie kind level of experience. Two, <laughs> yeah. Like 2.2, you know, yeah. I'm at that level. So, I mean, I know a few things, but I don't, I sure as hell don't know everything and I've mm-hmm. still got a long way to go. So it makes it very well-rounded if you put yourself out there on social media and just yep. have those conversations with people. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I t- we talked to, we've interviewed a lot of really, really successful in- investors mm-hmm. who are way more successful than us. And even they talk about, oh, well, there's this hundred million dollar person that I look up to. So it's like, you can't <laughs> always look in the rear of your mirror and you can't look yeah. to compare. But if you, all these people that have are, are starting to grow their businesses and their portfolios that are becoming successful really do want to help other people. At least that's what mm-hmm. we found. So yeah. awesome. So our second question of the core four is, this is an interesting one because we've had so many different answers. If you had an extra $50,000 of discretionary income, 
it, knowing all of the ways to invest today, how, or maybe you wouldn't invest, maybe you'd buy a car. I, tell us what you would do with the 50,000, an extra $50,000 um, of discretionary income. Oh, oh, I mean, just having the passion to, and knowing the wealth building that comes from investing in real estate, I would definitely be putting it into real estate. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I would definitely be putting it into an asset that makes me money so that I can go buy that car. You know? that's, that's exactly <laughs> so. right. I think uh, the the real estate community, it's it's like it's it's one of those things where I, when I talk to people that don't that aren't in the community, they're like, why why are you buying all these properties? Like, don't you want to live now? Don't you want to buy the nice things? And and my really the answer is so very simple for me and for Rye. Yeah. It's like if we can build this kind of this our own assets, our little oil wells that generate income for us every month. There's going to be a certain point where those <clears throat> assets that continue to grow and spit out cash flow are going to be able to afford the fund the lifestyle that we want to live. But if you Jacqueline funded your lifestyle the way that you truly want to live and done everything that you want with your dental hygienist job, you would have never been able to get started in this real estate investing and build mm -hmm. wealth outside of, of just your W2 job. I think that's the, the secret of like the middle or lower class that, that, that people, I often think that people need to learn in, in order to escape it. Right. Or you're just mm -hmm. going to be working until you're 80 and it's tough. Yeah. So, um, just to jump off a little bit off that point, what you were saying, yeah. like, um, I mean, so, I mean, obviously the past year and a half has been a bit of a gong show around the world. Right. Sure. <laughs> and I had just sold, uh, I just, I had just closed on a flip when that all happened about a year and a half ago, six, a year and six months ago, seven months, whatever it was, it was in March anyhow. Mm -hmm. And I had closed on it and, you know, two weeks later, uh, it all started coming out, you know, like this is what the world was headed into, but we obviously no one knew or could pre predict what was going to happen or that a year and a half later, we're still talking about this and vaccines and all of this crap. So, um, but when the, my point is, is, is that if anyone is kind of like wondering where the financial security or wealth from real estate, does that really happen? So <clears throat> When I closed on that flip a year and a half ago, I came home and then was I realized like everything was here in Ontario or Canada, and I think the same for uh, the states as well. We were all shut down. We were in quarantine. You know, everything mm -hmm. is closed. No one can go to work. You have to yep. work from home now. Same here. And so, <laughs> yeah. So, and in those in those two months, um, and still not knowing that it was going to extend itself, extend itself. But when it started extending into three months, four months, five months, and all of this. The financial peace of mind that I had from my rentals and other investments that came from real estate, I would not have had that peace of mind if I had stayed as a hygienist. I would have been stressed as hell, like yep. a lot of other people, unfortunately. And so if there's any doubt, you know, all those hard days, all those dark days, all those crying and all that stress and all those 14, 16 hour days to have that financial peace of mind for the past year and a half, it, it was all worth it. It was yeah, so I, worth it. I could not agree more with that. And, and I think that you, what, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're leveraging. Well, let me rephrase this. You're, you're allowing yourself to 
realize that everyone needs a place to live. Every single mm -hmm. person needs a place to live. So you're going to that area of business that's saying like, regardless of the pandemic, which is mm -hmm. like one of the craziest things that's ever happened in the history <laughs> of our, you know, modern world, regardless yeah. of that, people still need yeah. a place to live. So real yeah. estate is like, it's undefeated through through time. Now that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it won't go up and down and mm -hmm. you may lose some money, but I, I, I could not agree more with, with what mm -hmm. you just said. So yeah. question number three of the core four, what has been your <laughs> biggest mistake that you've made in your investing career and how have you learned from it? Oh, uh, some mistakes. Um, maybe letting self doubt creep in and not and maybe sometimes a little bit of lack of confidence, um, not pursuing knowledge, knowledge and uh, curating that earlier on, not being aware. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I wasn't sure. having all of those conversations with all the right people. I am now for the past year, which is another collateral beauty of this gong show the past year and a half, the collateral beauty for me. I'm, I'm deviating here from my answer, but um it forced me to stop because I'm at home, I'm quarantining. Mm -hmm. And the only thing, and how I utilized all of that was I jumped on Instagram, my knowledge, real estate knowledge, uh, awareness, uh, IQ, everything went through the roof. And I've, you know, so there's been some collateral beauty out of this past year for me uh, to that point. But um, yeah. yeah. That's great. Great answer. So the last question of the core four <laughs> is, and this is, this is one that is like, it kind of like, why do you, what do you want your legacy to be? Why do you get up every day? What's the whole, what's pushing you through those dark times? What, what is it about um, your business or, or this, this flipping and, and real estate journey that you've jumped on? Like, what do you want to be remembered for? What are you doing all this for? Well, my, my motto, my tagline is aspire to inspire. Um, Love it. I love that. There have been some, I mean, I, I think you can admit that there's some imbalance between men and women in business still totally. to this day, yep. still to this day. And women can be at a disadvantage when they extract themselves from marriages or um, some relationships. <laughs> and, you know, they're at a disadvantage sometimes. And, um, so to aspire and aspire to inspire women that reach out, if you find yourself in that boat and it's dark and you don't have two cents to rub together, sweetheart, you can do it. You can do it. Reach out and start acquiring knowledge or have conversations with people and build your own wealth on your own without the need for a relationship and all of that. So I'm speaking from personal experience here, honestly, yeah. but I don't want to get, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, I, I did extract myself from a relationship where the gentleman said, um, good luck getting all of this without me. So Got it. well, that's, that's motivation <laughs> right there, Jacqueline. And so, you've yeah. evidently created a life for yourself that you can be yeah. super, super proud of. And I think that the yeah. amount of women investors that we've interviewed that are contractors that are, that do renovations themselves, that, that are really debunking all of the stigmas that go out there about, mm -hmm. you know, women in real estate investing specifically, because a lot of times that people think on the outside that it's, it is like this, this guy his game. And, and I totally disagree with that. And I think that that people like you, or you continue to inspire on Instagram, you continue to prove that wrong and you continue to flip and build your portfolio. <laughs> and it's, it's, um, it's a really cool story yeah. to see. So, yeah. Yeah. um, 
we've made it to the last drop. And I want to know, knowing what you know now, you've kind of alluded to some of this, but knowing what you know now, Jacqueline, what advice would you give your younger self if you had to go back and talk to maybe 15, 20 year old Jacqueline? Uh, stay away from the boys. Don't get wrapped up. <laughs> yeah. That's not a bad one. <laughs> uh, 18, 19, 20 year old. You're not in love. Sorry. You're not Jacqueline. You're not, you think you are, but you're not. So uh, don't put okay, everything yeah. on hold. Uh, definitely stay away from that and focus on what my mother wanted me to focus on. And, um, I didn't, I, I went to university because my mom wanted me to, she never got to go to university or anything like that. And I was her first baby. And it was a, it was a point of pride for her to have one of her babies go to university. Uh, and so I did it more, not so much of a longing or a need on my part. I did it to benefit and make her happy. And I wish I had, I wish I hadn't done that so much. I wish I had done more what I felt that would complete me uh, instead of trying to keep my parent happy. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're sounding a lot like what Gary Vee. I know now I know, now I know that you've read Gary Vee's book by listening to that yeah. statement because he always says that, you know, th there's the parents put too much pressure on their kids and that yeah. the, the kids Something. always want to make their parents happy. And then eventually mm -hmm. end up, they, they end up resenting their parents because they're not doing what's truly best for them. And some parents can't get that out of their head. So it's learned. Yeah. I'm not a parent, but it's taught me <laughs> what I would do, you know, with my future kids. So I, yeah. I uh, think that's a great answer. So thank you. Yeah. For I struggled with university. I hated it. I didn't enjoy it. I switched majors and yeah, I wish I hadn't stuck it out for the sake it's not for mom. everybody. It's really it's not, not for everybody. everybody. It's not. Yeah. So first of all, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I think that no, your short, your story is, it really is inspiring, especially for young women investors too, and men, but, but I, I love how you have this, this focus and you've clearly been shaped by things that have happened to you in your mm -hmm. past and your, and, and that gives you motivation to move forward. If people want to learn more about you, they want to follow you. They want to, they want to maybe reach out for s some advice. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Instagram, <laughs> follow me. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, what's your uh, Instagram handle? Baywalk Design. B A Y W O P Design. Awesome. Baywalk Design. Great, yeah. Jacqueline. It's been a pleasure. Thank you yeah, so much for for coming on and sharing your story. I think uh, it it just goes to show that six years, six rentals, eight flips, all from a decision that you made, and I think it's it's really powerful stuff. So thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you.